Thank you for that warm introduction. <laughs> I guess I'm like an old shoe. You just know me. I can't remember. Did I tell you last year the difference between an Englishman and an Irishman and a Welshman and a Scotsman? Well, here it is. Two Englishmen, two Scotsmen, two Welshmen, two Irishmen were marooned on this island in the South Pacific and were discovered two years later. Well, the two Scotsmen had formed a bank and were trading shells with each other. Uh, the two Welshmen had formed a choir and were singing the two Irishmen had killed each other off in a fight. The two Englishmen were waiting to be introduced. So, thank you. <laughs> Love coming here. Honored to be here. Uh, my wife is with me. She'll be 80 on Wednesday. And two of our grandsons, and our son is with us, uh, Michael lets us, he honors us, bring uh, books to get rid of. And so on your way out, if you want to see any books, uh, we sell them actually literally cost or below. We just want, want to get them out, so feel free to come by. Uh, but I'm honored. Michael and Elizabeth have been like family for, for years, and, and uh, I spotted Jonathan years ago. As the man, well, I won't say more, but God's hand is on him, and uh, we're glad to be. You see, Louise sees Michael Yusuf as her pastor, because when I'm out preaching and she doesn't travel with me, sometimes she does, sometimes T.R. goes with me, my son, and she always watches leading the way. And sometimes before I get unpacked, after I come in from a trip, she will make me sit down and listen to Michael you need to hear this. And uh, she um, sees him as, as her pastor. But great to be with you. And um, I don't always know why I'm led to speak on a particular subject, but I will go with it. I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, a very unusual verse. There's no other verse like it in the Bible. Where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And then I'm thinking of another verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Where Paul says to Timothy, endure hardness. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. A brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. 
Help me to be very, very clear, very simple. May this be a life-changing word. And for someone here today, a word greatly needed. May this bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you received a letter from a man in prison, but you'd never met him and knew nothing about him, and he told you how to live your life, would you listen to him? Well, that's what we have here. When Paul writes a letter from Rome to the Colossians, they've not met him. He has not met them. This is unique. For example... Uh, He knew the Corinthians. He founded the church in Corinth, and he wrote a letter. One Corinthians, two Corinthians. Uh, Same with Ephesus. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the Thessalonians. But he had not met the Colossians. It was a man by the name of Epaphras who founded the church in Colossae. But Paul wants to move in and give them apostolic leadership. And he writes this letter. It's a lot like the book of Ephesians, but it's still different. Some would say the most difficult uh, book in in the New Testament. And one of the difficulties is this verse. It's very unusual. I know a verse, uh, no verse quite like it. And I've wrestled with it for years. And I believe I'm supposed to bring it to you today. And I can only assume Somebody, either in this service or the next service, you need this. And it might be, it might be that there's someone here. You are in, right now, the middle of the greatest trial of your whole life. If so, this is a word just for you. All others can just eavesdrop. You may need it one day. So, This is a strange comment. First of all, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Well, why would he do that? Well, it was a challenge that he himself had taken on board uh, for him and for them. He knew from the day of his conversion that he would suffer. Uh, Not a good way to be introduced to the Christian faith, but you read it in Acts chapter 9, verse 16 where God says, I'm going to show him how he must suffer. Suffering is not a subject that we would gravitate to, but I felt led that I should bring it today. For one thing, to help you to understand why God does this. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here who wants a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. The word anointing means power of the Spirit, which enables your gift to function easily. Uh, Everyone has a gift. It may not be preaching. You could be uh, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a secretary, but you have a gift. And your anointing is related to that that enables it to function easily. Speaking personally, I would rather have a greater anointing than anything in the world. The question is, can this be increased? Your gift, your ability, can it be increased that you do better than ever? And the answer is yes. The question is how? 
And I want to show today that, like it or not, this is the way God uses suffering in our lives. And so I want to explain just a little bit of suffering, assuming here uh, that you know the Lord, and for someone, this is very relevant indeed. Two or three things that I want us to see. The first, predestination and suffering. Uh, Would this surprise you? But this is what is implied here in verse 24. He says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, don't be afraid of the word predestination. If it weren't for that, you wouldn't be here. Uh, Acts 13, 48, As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, Luke, who was making a theological comment, might have said, as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. He could have said that, and, and that would have been true. But that's not what he said. He says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Letting you know that your conversion is not an accident. It is something God decided to do in eternity. And all we can do is Thank Him. We'll never know why. It's not according to our works, our goodness. It's just out of His great mercy. Well, so also with suffering. You need to know that suffering is predestined. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says to these new Christians, uh, don't be upset by these trials you have. You know You were destined for them. Destined for them. They might say, well, look, Paul, you didn't tell us about that when you first preached the gospel. Uh, But he says, well, now you know. As it is written in Philippians 1, verse 30, we heard part of Philippians 1 already today. Verse 30 says, it is not only given to us to believe on Christ, but also to suffer They might say, well, Paul, why didn't you tell us before now? This isn't fair. Now you tell us. Well, he might say, well, I can't think of everything. But they find out. And so it it often is the case. After you become a Christian, you find out things that you were not told in advance. This would happen. Uh, Some people imagine, wrongly, that uh, if they become a Christian, it's just going to solve all their problems, and they're not going to have any kind of obstacles anymore. And then you find out, lo and behold, you're in the greatest trial of your whole life. And you don't understand it. And so Paul says, oh, oh, by the way, we're told not only that we're to believe, but to suffer for him. As a matter of fact, a case could be made that the first verse in the New Testament deals with this. Reason I say that the book of James was written in 48 AD before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. James was first. And his opening statement is Count it joy. One translation, pure joy. When you fall into divers' trials or temptations. Oh, says someone, well, if it's, if it's a case that a, a trial 
it's good for me. I must go look for a trial. Uh, don't do that. It will come soon enough. But what James says is if you fall into it. In other words, you didn't cause it to happen. Uh, sometimes people bring on their own trials. That's why Peter says, don't let anybody suffer as, as a busybody. Or you just idle in other people's affairs and you're getting all kinds of trouble. It's your own fault. But if you have fallen into a situation, you didn't ask for it. You're just in the middle of a trial and think, what is going on? James says, count it, consider it, pure joy. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in Romans 4 when he says, our faith counts for righteousness. You impute to faith righteousness. Well, he's saying we should do that, or James is saying we should do that, when it comes to a trial. Now, your first reaction to a trial is to say, oh, why does this have to happen? And your immediate reaction is not to like it. You may hate it, and you think, why does this have to happen? But James is saying, and, it, and the case could be made, the first word in the New Testament, count it joy. Impute to the trial joy. I don't say it's easy to do, but I am saying that's what the Bible says to do. So I address someone here who I think, just possibly, you're in a severe trial, maybe the worst ever, and God's word to you is impute to it joy. Count it joy. It doesn't mean that you feel joy. It's like when God imputes righteousness to you. You don't feel righteous. But the Bible says you are. And you, can, you understand that God sees you as righteous. Well, you're to do that with a trial. You impute to it joy because it's only a matter of time that you'll come to see that what happened to you was not only good for you, you might even end up saying the best thing that ever happened to you. I can say that. The greatest trial of my whole life turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for it. I'm not going into that, but I'm just making the point that trials are ordered of God and it's for our good. But there's another thing. Paul not only talks about predestination and suffering, but the purpose of suffering. And now we come to this strange comment. It's for the body of Christ. He says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Paul has come to see What's going on in his life? He said, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. It refers to the body of Christ. That's the church. Uh, we are not in this alone. We're in it together. We're doing this for each other. Uh, Paul says we're not alone. Uh, John said, I'm your brother in tribulation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. What does it mean, filling up what is lacking? Uh, you may know the name Joseph Tzon, if you've heard me preach much. He's the man who years ago, in my greatest trial, said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. 
Well, that same Joseph Tone preached for me at Westminster Chapel many years ago, and he took his text from this first. The only person I've known to, to preach on it and, and to give an understanding. And he preached on the subject. I could have used that today. I just didn't want to plagiarize. He called it Mysterious Reasons for Suffering. I called my sermon today The Power of Suffering. Or you could say the key to a greater blessing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so Joseph son called it Mysterious Reasons for Suffering using this verse. And he also, in that sermon, showed why God put Job through suffering. You see, here's the way it happened. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That teaches us something. It may be hard to explain. But what it says is, if you are in a trial... Don't say, look what the devil has done. No, God is at the bottom of it. He's the one that said, you are up to what you're going through. You say, I'm not. I'm so weak. I'm, I can't handle this. God says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And in the heavenlies, before what has happened in your life, God said to the devil, have you considered my servant Jonathan, Toby, Timothy. Yeah, God did this. And you need to know that God is behind it. And you say, well, why would God do this? It's because you're special. There's a purpose in this. Mysterious reasons for suffering. And the reason God did this to Job is he wanted to show Job... I wanted to show the devil, rather, what Job would be like when he had everything and lost it all. Whether that person would curse God. You see, the, the devil said to God, you take what he's got and he'll curse you. The only reason he's a good man and is a blessing it's because he's got everything. Why wouldn't he bless you? Take it away from him and he will curse you. And God said, okay. And it turned out that Job demonstrated before the angels. No one had ever seen a person who had everything and lost it and would not charge God foolishly, but actually would say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And could it be there's someone, you're going through a trial. You are on display before the angels. And the angels waiting to see how you will react in a time of suffering. The angels are watching. Will we cave in or dignify a hard trial? Well, but then Paul is making an astonishing point here to the Colossians. Here it is. So much suffering has been allocated to the body of Christ. You could say a quota, a certain quantity. And such suffering is called 
Christ's afflictions, pain in his body. God is looking for someone who will suffer and not complain. And so I can announce today that there is space available. (laughs) Because so many have complained, and Paul is not complaining. He says, I rejoice. I don't want to be unfair. But if somehow you are in a trial and you are able to impute joy to what you're going through, it will honor God. And one day, you will be glad you did. You see, Paul could claim this is precisely the explanation for his suffering. Let me put it another way. Let me ask a question. Why should a person be a Christian? Do you believe people should be Christians? Do you? Do you believe your loved ones should be saved? Your next door neighbor? The person you work with? Should they? Why? Are you prepared to say, uh, well, they'll be happier? Really? Oh, it would help their marriage. Really? Statistics show that approximately 50% of those born uh, uh, married in a church and 50% in a, in a justice of the peace equally end up in divorce. You can't say Christianity is going to solve your marriage. Why be a Christian? I'll tell you a story. The first person that I baptized at Westminster Chapel was a man by the name of J. Michaels, a Los Angeles Jew who was on his way to Moscow, had an office in London. His secretary was a member of Westminster Chapel and invited J. Michaels to come and hear me preach. I didn't know about it for months. But J. Michaels heard me preach and was converted that night. And later I found out and it turned out we became great friends. Uh, you may know the name Al Michaels, the broadcaster, sportscaster. That's his son. Well, J. Michaels and I became very good friends. We went fishing together, spent a a couple of holidays together in Florida. And while we were sitting in a restaurant one day, he made an interesting comment. You ready for this? He said, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. (laughs) He's not complaining. He's saying it's the truth. His wife wouldn't convert. His son won't convert. His family won't convert. He was all by himself. He said, I was happy. I was happy. He's not complaining. (laughs) I don't know that he'd be a good person to give his testimony just before an evangelistic sermon. They say, Jay, uh, come up before uh, we hear the gospel preach. Uh, Give us your testimony. And he says, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. Everybody goes, oh, I want to be a Christian now. (laughs) Or how about this? What if you let a person give their testimony, and it sounded a lot like this. We're talking now about Paul in 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. In fact, I am reading uh, from 
his own words. This is Paul's testimony. This is the way you could put as a heading what Christianity has done for me. So we put him up to speak. And this is him. Listen. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Oh, really? Oh, Paul, how can I become a Christian now? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. He goes on to say, he says, I have had hardship, hunger, and thirst, often without food, sleepless nights. Really? Oh, where do I sign? I want to be a Christian now. You see, why, why be a Christian? Well, it's certainly not because you're necessarily going to be happy. And so what Paul is doing now is letting you know that it is not only to believe, but to suffer. And I don't know that this is preached that much today. We're afraid that we're not going to win people. The reason a person should become a Christian, there's a heaven, there's a hell. This is why Jesus died on the cross. If there was no heaven or hell, there was no need for him to die. He could just have given good teaching and take us all to heaven. And so what Paul is doing is letting us know that there is a reason for suffering. And that's because you're called to come into your inheritance. Some do, some don't. And so he's given us the privilege of suffering. And he lets us know that so much suffering has been allocated. Look, if your bank manager wrote you a letter and said uh, a certain amount of money has been allocated to you, uh, would you go to the bank and claim it? I think he would. Well, yeah, I'll take it. All right, so much suffering has been allocated. Suppose I gave an altar call, and I said, there are two ways we're going to tell you how you can increase your blessing, your power, your anointing. Uh, One is that uh, all who come forward uh, down this aisle over here, I would just lay hands on you and you will have power. But all those who want a greater anointing by suffering, would you come down this aisle? I don't think any of us would want it. But this is the way God tends to bless. I've had every person under the sun to lay hands on me and pray for me for a greater anointing. From Martin Lloyd-Jones, Billy Graham, name them. I've had them pray for me. But I can tell you personally, any blessing of my ministry, if there's any at all, has come through suffering. And I can say to you, if somehow you can impute joy to this. Uh, So Paul is not complaining. He says, you've been chosen for a greater measure of power. You've been chosen for that. And you say, well, I don't like the way it's going to come. Sorry, says Paul. It has been given to you not only to believe on it, but to suffer. These were destined. He says so. You know, there's a verse. Acts 5.41. Sometimes I cannot read this without coming to tears. It's when Peter and John 
had been made to stand before the Sanhedrin. And they were warned not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And then they were beaten. And then they let go. They let them go. And I suppose that in the Sanhedrin, these Sadducees and Pharisees were saying, well, we showed them. We won't be bothered with them anymore. They couldn't have known that Peter and John, they couldn't believe their luck. It says they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the shame of his name. Now, I need to say, there are levels of suffering, like a, imagine a pyramid. Uh, bottom level, just any kind of physical pain, that's suffering. Or illness, that's a higher level. Or financial reverse, so there are levels of suffering. But the top, the pinnacle, is if you suffer for the name of Jesus. That's the highest privilege of all. And these men, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Most people, they don't want to suffer shame for the name. You know, we, we value our reputation. We treasure our good name. But are you willing to let them misunderstand you just because you're doing all that you do before an audience of one? Lord, what say you? Am I pleasing you? And that's a word for someone my own mother tells the story that when she was a little girl, she and other teenage girls would sit around the feet of a 90-year-old saint who used to say to these kids different things that encouraged them. And one of them was this. I've been, suffering the Lord, I've been serving the Lord for so long now that I can no longer tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. And what is a trial now will one day be treasured. Says James, impute joy to it. You're filling up what is lacking. Be one of those that accepts suffering allocated to you, but say, Lord, that it is thy hand, it's okay. But in this life, you may not get recognition. In this life, you may not have people applaud you. I doubt anybody here has heard the name Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison, let me tell you who he was. He was a Baptist preacher of uh, over something like 100 years ago when Teddy Roosevelt was president. Theodore Roosevelt. And Theodore Roosevelt uh, was famous for being a game hunter. Henry Morrison was a Baptist missionary in Africa. He had been serving the Lord for 40 years in Africa and came to the position it was time to retire after 40 years. He, he wrote two or three friends in America to say that he and his wife were going to retire after 40 years. Well, as the ship is coming into the New York Harbor, Henry Morrison and his wife, they can hear a band playing. 
And he's so excited, he said to his wife, they shouldn't have done this for us. Oh, well, they were first in the queue to get off the ship. And when the ship had landed, they take their bags and a policeman says, stop here, sir. Oh, they put their bags down. And it turns out that Theodore Roosevelt was also on the ship. He had been game hunting in Africa for three weeks. And he's first off the ship. The band was for the president. As it turned out, Henry Morrison, they were the last off. And they go down the gangplank and they put their baggage down and they're looking around. Not a soul comes to see them. They walk three blocks to a third-rate hotel. Henry Morrison falls across the bed and says, Lord, I served you for 40 years in Africa. I come home and no one here to meet me. President Roosevelt game hunts for three weeks and a band plays for him. But then he heard these words, but you're not home yet. That's the thing to remember. When you don't get accolades, you don't understand what's going on. It's by faith alone. Remember these words. You've been chosen. And it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see him, there's a purpose in it all. And one day, you will treasure it. Impute joy to it now. May we pray. Heavenly Father, Take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.